do it. a lot of writing. I've published a shitload of papers and give a lot of keynote addresses <laughs> and, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I I mean, I'm going to plug that I, in. That was awesome. <laughs> and I was interviewed by Rolling Stone. I'm, I'm oh. the only geologist anybody can think of who's ever interviewed by Rolling Stone. Let's wow. go. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for checking out the PBE Podcast. Just a quick word. Uh, I'm Troy Tittlemeyer, co-host of the PBE Podcast, and I wanted you to just be aware as what we're trying to do and what we're going to start putting forward. Uh, the, the live event, and it could be the last live event of 2020, is going to happen September 29th. And we're going to focus on doing just fundamental podcasts again, getting people behind the mics, getting curiosity uh answered if you will and uh and so check out the live show september 29th it's a huge show for us we're bringing in amazing geology we got david ramsden wood i call him the economic ninja and uh we're gonna talk mars geology september 29th pbe podcast keep a lookout for that last thing before we start the art berman show we want everyone to know that we are looking for support and sponsors please like share review it really does actually mean something on all these platforms uh we we love getting the positive feedback and to keep this this thing going and so we're going to focus on that also any sponsors ad space it's a unique opportunity with what pbe is and the crowd that we have and the community that we're building and, and inside of it's it's a very unique space and if you want to uh, want to team up with us, we would love that and be honored to understand exactly what you're bringing to the industry so we can help uh, spread the word of what you're providing. Operators as well. I hope you enjoyed as much as we did making it. Three, two, one. Let's, Let's go. go. Come on, Art. We got to get go. you in there. Hey, all right, all right, all right. We got it. We got it. Skipo, all right, you're not in Sedona. You, it looks like you're at your your grandmother's living room, a nice couch, yeah, <laughs> more or less. Yeah, I'm just in like the most secluded part of the home, and nice, you know, where I get the best the best signal. We had some Wi-Fi issues this morning. Yeah, so. missed you for the conception part of the show, but you made it in perfect timing with the drill down section of this show. Try, try to time it out. Try to time it out the best yeah. I could. Nah, it was well done. It was well done. I'm glad you didn't just show up in like the middle of this thing. It would have been sideways. Yeah. Editing would have <laughs> like, been a nightmare on that. But no, we we, we made it. And uh, and man, what a great show it was. And, uh, and this is Mr. Art Berman. You can learn a lot about what Art Berman has been doing for the oil and gas industry at his website, artberman.com. Certainly what he thinks of the future, but I mean, it's it's 46, it's 40 plus years, four decades plus of uh, of experience. He he was with uh, Aramco for 20 years. I mean, he he's a consultant now. And it was it was uh, my experience to first time seeing him and, and seeing that presentation that he gave in 2017 in Midland and saying that, you know, the, the, the economics of this shale play is is difficult. And there's a few of you that might make it through and a lot that are going to be struggling. And uh, and then we watched the years progress. And, and I, I just always stuck with me. And I, I'm just absolutely honored to share this time with Art. And, and sir, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, I. Uh, uh, sometimes I hate to be right, but uh, occasionally uh, that, that that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, especially when you have good data. 
especially when you yeah. collect good data and you put it together and you don't you use the past to to help with future predictions predictions of today that are going to lead to uh, uh dis discoveries or growth of the future is is incredibly powerful and and we just thank you for taking that time and being the professional you are the consultant you are that puts out these weekly newsletters and you know you put a lot of effort into trying to help people better understand what's going on and and we just we absolutely advise folks to go to artberman.com and certainly follow what you are saying and and as narrator of of the story and uh what was your what was your takeaway i'm interested for uh for the pbe podcast what what did you get from this art well i i the the key points are 2020 is gonna suck and 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 probably uh at least the first half of 2021 is going to be pretty grim too for the oil business and and i showed you why you know with rig counts below 200 i mean there's just no way that uh that we're gonna we're going to be a healthy industry until we turn that around. Um, that said, uh, prices are going to be relatively low for most of that period too. But when U.S. production starts to drop, as it inevitably will, it's not, it's not if, it will, mm -hmm. because we have less than a third the number of rigs we need to maintain production. That's going to have a ripple effect through the global market. And with luck, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I, nobody in their right mind predicts oil prices. And so I'm not going to tell you I'm out of my mind, but, um, you know, I can't say when, but I think in the time frame that we're discussing, we're going to see prices move back to where they were at the end of last year, uh, which is to say in the 50 plus range. And that, that should be very positive for the industry if the industry's ready to act and in order to act, it has to have money or to have money. It has to win back investor confidence and has to, I think, be more on board, more publicly on board with being part of uh, a cleaner energy future. One, one thing I did like a lot about this whole talk and specifically the drill down segment was, how you compared oil prices to human behavior. It's very erratic, right? Like when we're looking at those yield curves on that, the price of oil, the WTI versus the what is it, comparative, inventory, comparative inventory. yeah. Comparative inventory. And, but overall, when you look at it properly, it's still predictive. When you look at the data and you honor the data, as erratic as it <clears> might seem, you can look at those standard deviations and say, oh, okay, wait, like it's, it's kind of scary, but like this is what we could see moving forward if we're realistic in the situation. And I, I like how you broke it down with all those different graphs because I've never I've never seen it broken down like that yeah. before. And that that was that was awesome. It's a pretty straightforward approach. I mean, you can look at you know, almost anybody's charts show a five year average, and they show where you know whatever they're showing. But it's just they don't they don't do anything with it. They say, well, here it is. And you say, well, that's cool. You know, great. We're above it. We're below it, whatever. And the only thing different that I've done, and I didn't, I didn't invent this method. A mm -hmm. friend of mine named Mike Bodell did. But uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a fast follower. And uh, you know, all, you, you gotta you gotta do something analytical with it. And and so that's all I've done. And yeah, I mean, you look at each one of those, you call them erratic, <clears throat> you know, I call them excursions. <clears throat> Something was going on then, <clears throat> right? Something like was that. going on that you know that caused 
that cause traders to, you know, to start creating volatility. Uh, one of them was uh, the first OPEC plus cut in 2016. That got a lot of people's blood moving. Okay, so all of a sudden OPEC's taking two million barrels off a day off the market. What's that going to do to price? Nobody knows. You know, is price going to go from forty-five to a hundred? Is price going to go from forty-five to fifty-five? We don't know. It's going to go up. That's all we know. And so traders start doing their thing. And uh, after, you know, two and a half months of all over the place, everybody said, okay, it's going to go up $5. And, and now we've got a point of stability. I mean, when oil was negative 3740 or whatever it was a couple of, you know, two months ago, did anyone know where it was going to go? Well, I mean, I knew it was going to go back to 40, but when, who knows? Yeah. So we've been in this insane period of prices every week all over the place, but they're stabilizing. So, so there is, you know, there, there, I mean, even erratic human behavior has its norms. So yeah. I, I appreciate your observation. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Skippo being Skippo. Uh, so yeah, so the, to end this and, and I'll say what, uh, what I feel about this whole show. And, and obviously there's a lot of great things that, uh, that I certainly learned and I'm excited about, but most importantly is today and right now, as hard as this is, and it reminds me of something that was told to me the literally the first week of work is that when oil prices are high, you work hard. When oil prices are low, you work fucking harder. And that's where we're at. That's what we must do. And it's to establish the respect again. It's to establish trust with these investors who are saying, I'm giving you money to make me more money. What is your idea? And stand by that idea. Stand by that, 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 that idea that you have have and the responsibility you're taking on as a professional, as a business. This is not a game. We are to rise from this and we are to learn from people of Art Berman and everybody else that we have on this show to, to establish an idea that's going to work when growth happens in this price. And we, above all things, are not here to, to object anything of, of what's happening except for growth is coming. So be prepared. Start creating these relationships with people like Art and others that are really going to prepare us for this growth and for the opportunity that's guaranteed to come and, and to give back to these investors and to earn that trust. And that is absolutely exciting. I get, I get, I get worked up. I'm sorry, Art. <laughs> Excuse my excitement. <laughs> And what you can see, I don't have the standard deviations on here because it gets too too messy. But basically, uh, the highs and the lows stay pretty much within one standard deviation. So, you know, after January, price went down. Here we're in March when the OPEC meeting ended with uh, basically a, a volume war, if not a price war. And then COVID-19 came in. We dropped off the, you know, completely off the scale here when we got down to negative $37 a barrel. And the point that I'm making here is that the post-collapse mean from April 20th to last Friday was $29. And one standard deviation higher is 38 and one lower is basically 20. And what you see is that prices went up really, really fast. And then they kind of flattened out as they approached, exceeded, and then pulled back to that one standard deviation level. Now, there's nothing magic about one standard deviation. It's just that 
empirically, that's what works. That's what works for me over time. So on that basis, it says, well, you know, until, until the market gets itself equilibrated, uh, we're probably stuck somewhere plus or minus 10 or 15% of that $38. Um, that's, uh, you know, neither, neither good nor bad. It, 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 it just is. Um, so, um, if we go on to the next slide, let's, you know, let's, let's think about why that might be. And so this is, this is another thought experiment. Um, this is a history of supply demand global and supply demand balance in the bars. So the demand is in orange supply is in green and the blue bars are uh, a surplus and the red bars are a deficit. And so it's history up through the first quarter of, of 2020. Um, and what I've done is I've taken what I think is probable um, and put it on here and it differs. Most, if you look at, at IEA or EIA or OPEC, they all show a V-shaped recovery and so, you know, after they showed a V-shaped recovery, by the way, after the first quarter, now they've moved it to the second quarter. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying, I think we got to be realistic. And, and so, uh, you know, we can, we can play with these, these curves any way you want. Bottom line is that demand is going to be way down in 2020, no matter what. I'm saying it's going to be down 14 million barrels a day. OPEC says it's going to be down nine. IEA says it's going to be down seven. You know, uh, you know, choose your poison. None of them are very good. Um, this is this just came out um, a couple of days ago. This is what IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, thinks is going to happen to world GDP, and they think that. So the blue is GDP, uh, the, the red is uh, trade volume, and uh, the, oh, I'm sorry, the, 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 the blue is GDP based on exchange rates, the red is trade volume, and the orange is normalized real GDP. So, you know, pick your poison here either, but IMF says we're down 5%, you know, 5 to 6%. Uh, if you if you like trade volume, it, it's worse than that. So very difficult to get super enthusiastic about where oil prices are going to go in 2020. Now, now, sorry to interrupt, but GDP and that that uh, that decline is essentially saying that the value of the dollar is simply just becoming less. Is that what we're no okay no this this is this is gross domestic product. So this is world output of goods and services is going to decline in 2020 by 5% compared to 2019 gotcha. in, in just... which it grew almost 3%. And of course their outlook for 2021 is more positive. Of course it's positive compared to a big negative. So, you know, in, in, it's relative, in real yeah. terms, it, yeah, it's not great, but you, know, you look over here at, at United States, and so uh, IMF is saying the U.S. GDP is going to drop 8% in 2020. So very, very difficult without being ridiculous to be optimistic about 20, 
20, but, you know, 2021 looks better. Now, this is, again, sort of a sobering thing. This is GDP of every country in the world. I haven't labeled every country in the world uh, on the y-axis versus oil consumption on the x-axis. And we can argue all day and all night about why this correlation works, but it works like, like magic. Okay. So the, the correlation between oil consumption and GDP has an R squared of 93. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that in the statistical world. Mm -hmm. So that says that if world consumption is down 10%, then the great likelihood is, is that GDP is going to be down 10%, which makes you say, you know, get on the phone and call IMF and say, you guys are out to lunch. You know, you're saying 5% and I'm saying, you know, no way. Well, I hope they're right and I'm wrong. Then this is, this is U.S. consumption. This is domestic consumption of all fuels. They're all listed here. You don't need me to go through them back from the beginning of the year. And so what you see is in mid-April, I mean, you know, the drop, the bottom completely dropped out. Um, I'm showing this is incremental by fuel. The red is actual consumption and the, uh, the dotted black line is the five-year average. So in mid-April, we were almost 6 million barrels a day less than the five-year average. That's to say, you know, six, that, that, that's like 30% less. So our GDP was down 30% if you believe the previous slide. Right. I you know, do. Take, us out, take us out to the present uh, week ending June 19th. And we've gotten a lot better. Okay. We're only down three, you know, th- 3 million barrels a day. Uh, well, it's a lot better than six, but it's, it's still not very good. We're still down 10%. And, and the thing that's concerning about this is that almost all of the increases in gasoline. And, and of course that's what you'd expect, but you know, gasoline is people driving around. It's not creating a lot of economic activity unless they're going to work or they're going out to, you know, buy hundred thousand dollar appliances or something. What's, what's concerning is, is distillate, which is diesel. Okay. So kerosene jet way down, which is what you'd expect. Nobody's flying, but distillates way down. Okay. And distillate, that's the way we move orders around the world. Okay. In the country that's ships, trucks, and trains. Uh. And, 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 and when, when people aren't using diesel, that means there's no orders for durable goods. Yeah. So here is just, just distal. This is just diesel. And what you see is, is that, you know, here's the five-year average. This is actual consumption. This is the April through June average. We're, we're down 20% on diesel consumption. And you could be more optimistic and say, yeah, Art, but look out here at the at the end of the curve. And I'm saying, well, yeah, you could have said the same thing, you know, in the middle. This, these things jump around uh, weekly, weekly data. I've got it two-week averages here, but weekly data is not great. The, the point is not the specifics. The point is we got a long way to come back from where we are. So... I get back, you know, to this slide, which we've already talked about. And this to me is the key. So we have to, we have to take this one step at a time. And the first step we're already, 
99% of the way there. And that's getting from, you know, a weekly average of $5, <laughs> you know, back, uh, back at the end of April up to a weekly average WTI of 38.35, which is where we were last week. So give us so the, the rundown on the X and Y again. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Just a second, guys. I'm going to calm my dog here. Lily. Quiet, Lily. <laughs> so again, so this, this slide, this is, this is my, you know, the, the most important single tool that I use. This is WTI comparative inventory. That's, how much oil plus refined products we have in storage today versus the five-year average cross-plotted against whatever the average spot price from WTI was that week. And when you do this, what you find is that there's quite a systematic relationship between those two values. And, you know, we followed you know, one of these things, this is called a yield curve, and it's it's not fundamentally different than a bond yield curve, except instead of looking at interest rates and maturities, we're looking at uh, oil price and comparative inventory. But th the point is, and as I said before, the excursions are just as important as, as the norm because that, that's where price discovery is going on. So we're in the biggest price discovery of our lifetimes right now. So we're, we're discovering between $45 zero and back to 40. And this thing's got to stabilize. But I've been saying ever since, ever since this point way over here, that this thing is going to stabilize around 40 or $45. And that's exactly what's happening. These points are going tangential. So you say, well, that's not very good, Art. I mean, we need more than 40 or $45. And I go back to one step at a time, everybody. You know, we were at negative $37 not very long ago. <laughs> let's not forget. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, let's establish a baseline right here at, at 40 or 45. At least companies can pay their operating costs. Yep. They can pay their, their, their debt service, which is real important to to not going bankrupt. And then let's wait for the inevitable decline of U.S. production from the lower rig counts that I've, I've already, you know, discussed uh, at, at, at great length, like right here, mm -hmm. that, you know, let, let's wait for production to drop to, to 8 million barrels a day. And that's going to move, uh, that's going to move these yield curves back up from this one, say to this one, and then we're talking $55 oil, at which point companies are actually making, you know, the better companies in the Permian at least are making 10%, which is, is as good as it's ever gotten for them. When does all that happen? It happens in 2021. Mm. Um, if, if all this is right. So, you know, that that's negative if you want it to happen right away that's positive compared to where we've been back to your question, Troy, about, you know, my mentor and his question, you got to be ready for when price turns. Okay. And, and so with all this as background, um, don't expect price to go up a whole lot from where it is right now for a while, because it's got to stabilize. It's got to establish a baseline, but be ready. 
you know, be ready for more. And, and, and the main thing is, is that the companies have to figure out how to rebuild trust with investors. Right. That is key because no matter what the price of oil does, if nobody's giving them any money, <laughs> they're not going to drill. Man. I like how you put on uh, in, in the red dots, the, uh, the oil price from 2014 through 2017. Cause that's, that's, I mean, for a lot of us in industry right now, we've all lived through that. Right. And, and seeing that, okay, here was oil at a hundred dollars and then all the way to 2016 where it was, you know, down to $20 again. And just the differences <laughs> from that versus just 2019, 2020, that it, it's, it's staggering. I, well, it's, like it's, putting it, on a, it is so staggering, but it, but it's systematic is the point. So we went from here, we followed this yield curve down and yeah, there's, it wobbles around. I mean, oil is, I mean, we're, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're not tracking something that, uh, that's simple. I mean, this yeah. is really, really complex. Right. Okay. I don't need to tell you guys that <clears throat> this is as complex as human behavior because human <laughs> behavior is the market. Okay. We got clear down to here and, you know, I expected, well, we're just going to follow this thing right back up, but we didn't. Mm. And why didn't we? Because companies figured out how to do more with less. We figured out how to, you know, how to cut our costs way down. And the market said, well, this is great. You know, we no longer have to pay $100 a barrel. We can pay $50 a barrel. So we, we went out on this yield curve, which we were on very, very nicely with some excursions. Again, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these are geopolitically motivated. So um, there, there are good reasons for them. And, and I'm, you know, as I, as I told Troy earlier, this is not meant to be a mathematical regression, guys. You know, this is, yeah. this is like a McKinsey four quadrangle plot of human behavior. Um, this is the oil market. This is the world. But, you know, this thing worked just great until it didn't. And, of course, demand dropped and supply has now dropped. So we, you know, we're in this no man's land, but we're coming back. This is a very systematic approach. I know it doesn't, you know, to somebody who's looking at this for the first time, they're going to say, you're nuts, Art. <laughs> but, but I have called the market with astonishing correctness for the last five or six years, mm -hmm. not using this as the only tool, but using this as the integration tool. I was going to say, and, you can't argue with data. That's the one thing people, you can be pessimistic, optimistic, but it doesn't matter. You can't argue with data. That's and I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic. I mean, I am, I'm a scientist mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I get a lot of people reacting and saying, well, Art, you know, you paint a pretty, a pretty pessimistic picture of where the oil industry is going to be for the rest of 2020 and the first part of 2021. And you know, the difference between you and me, Art, is I'm an optimist and you're a pessimist. And I, you know, I, I kind of just want to end the conversation there <laughs> and, and say, well, I just showed you a whole bunch of data that supports why I think what you, what I do and what you're telling me is hope is my strategy. And right. I'm saying, you know, good luck with that guy. I mean, right. I, I, I hope you're right. Gotta and I'm wrong, emotion. but yeah. you know, when I go to, to my clients and say, you know, I think you ought to drill this well for this reason 
and I think you ought to drill it now as opposed to in three months, um, they don't want to hear about my hope for the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they want to hear why I think it makes sense for them to write a big check. Yeah. And 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 so again, I'm not, you know, I'm not disparaging the people that say that. I'm just saying if that works for you, great. Yeah. You know, that that doesn't work for me. Right. And 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 this is what works for me. If you want to disbelieve it, you know, it's a free country. Go ahead. But it's worked awfully well for a long time. Yep. Back to 2017 when you started predicting this stuff and we watched it all happen, at least from, from my perspective. I watched you give that presentation. It seemed like everybody was going, okay, sure. And uh, we're, we're going to outperform or we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep going. And it, reality is, is you called it essentially in 2017. Yeah. And two things I take away from this, this drill down segment is one, the establishing the trust again with investors. That needs to be uh, the conversation in uh, in everybody's offices moving forward is establishing the trust with investors again and understanding that uh, we are going to see a price growth. And if we are not ready to, to make moves when that price is making that adjustment and getting to growth, then we, we're, we're definitely gonna lose. So if the investor's on one side of the table and they have a lack of trust, the operator and the scientists are on the other side of the table trying to establish that trust. I think that's a great foundation for the context and conversation that we get it. We understand what happened in the past. We learned from that. We need to earn your trust. Here's our plan for when prices come back. How do you want us to establish uh, and keep this thing going until those prices come back so we can truly optimize that one part of the business that actually works. <laughs> Art Berman said it perfectly. When price grows, business is growing. It's not when price grows, you respond and you take advantage of that shortly after, you're gonna lose. You need to establish the trust with your investors with a game plan that's, that's, that's ready to go and that they believe in. Now here's the thing. I mean, if, if, if you're telling investors that every sprayberry well we've drilled since 2015 is going to make 850,000 barrels of oil equivalent. That's just not true. It's just not true. Now, if you're in, and, and in your investor presentation, there's probably an asterisk or a footnote that says, well, actually that's within the XYZ unit. Well, okay. But that's not what your investor heard. Your investor heard you say something that isn't true today. And once he's been burned and he's lost money on your stock, he's going to say, I was lied to. Right. Don't do that. Tell them, say, look, you know, we're getting better at this. You know, it's true that not every well we drilled from 2015 made 850,000 barrels equivalent. But look at the progress we've made since then. And I can show you, I'm not going to do it right now. But I mean, I just did an evaluation of the top three producers in the Eagleford Shale the other day. Mm. And over the last three years, I mean, you know, their break even price, even with all the costs I include, you know, it varies from among the three operators, but it's breathtakingly low. You know, it's in the $40 range. And that's a whole lot better than it was back in 2015, 2014, 2013. So acknowledge the past, acknowledge that, you know, and I'm not preaching to the companies. I'm, I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just saying, 
you know, the way to establish trust is to admit, okay, you know, maybe, maybe we weren't a hundred percent straight with you. Maybe we were promoting ourselves a little bit. We're not going to do that anymore. Let's focus on, I'm going to show you 10 wells that we drilled last year and you can take this data to the bank. This is how great these wells are. And there's plenty of them to show. I was going to say, because a lot of those investor presentations, when you're looking back at, you know, 2016, 2017, a lot of them had, you know, just the hero wells yeah. that, that they use to, you know, formulate whatever if they're using the P10 or their P90, whatever it is. But a lot of those wells looked much better than the reality of what the production was. And I think that's, like you said, a lot of we've learned from that. And that moving forward, it's just got to be one of those things that we need to be more, uh, we just need to be more open about, you know, when we put those models together, say, hey, this is more of a reality. It, there's no more hiding it anymore because, I mean, that's where the investors got trapped initially. And I think that's where that distrust was built. But I think moving forward now, they have a much better understanding of what the unconventional business is. And there are a lot of people out there that are looking to blame right now, just Mm. the same way that after 2008, 2009, you know, a lot of people say, you know, we want to see, you know, those investment bankers and all those guys on wall street, you know, lock them up. We want them to go to jail. Well, you know, that didn't happen for very many people, but uh, I deal with, with calls every day from people asking me my opinion. You know, I was telling Troy earlier, there's a Bloomberg article out where I was the only person interviewed that didn't think the SEC should go and, you know, do something real serious about the shale companies, you know, um, and I'm not trying to promote myself as being on their side. I'm saying that's what's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that this, this author talked to like 20 oil and gas experts and every one of them but me said, yeah, we think the SEC should be out there you know, busting heads that, that, that the companies have, have, have misled the investors. Right. I disagreed. Um, even though I do have some issues with the ethics of it, but, um, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that's what people think. And, and, and until people are willing to acknowledge that that's the damage, whether it's right or wrong, that's the damage that's out there that we have to come back from as an industry. Wow. And we are clearly in the the completion part of this show with Art Berman at this point, and uh, and one that's that's absolutely exciting because it if you don't have data, then you do not have the ability to create a hypothesis and or an argument. You got to have data in order to establish an argument or establish some ground to have a hypothesis and begin to interpret what could possibly be. And, and you've done a great job at keeping control of data, putting it in new, new ways that I certainly haven't seen before that, and you make interpretations on that. And, and yeah, that's absolutely powerful. Now, I think we differ slightly, at least my opinion versus yours in what is going to happen in the industry. I do believe that we are going to see flatter decline curves and better IPs, less drilling, better performance in the near future. And uh, and I think that's going to it's going to have an interesting effect simply on how you explain that you get a 10 percent recovery factor or uh, or rate of return rather of uh, 
uh, at $50 oil, $55 oil. Maybe we can get there at $35 oil if you do have longevity in the production through new technology and new breakthroughs in EOR or uh, in new stimulations with these wells that are that are getting put uh, put put together. So I, that's where I stand on that, and I and, and the future will tell us. Um, but man, I, I thought this show was absolutely spot on on many reasons to get excited about simply the growth in price, the growth in our industry, and our opportunities from from everybody in the industry that it's going to come back and it's going to be potentially better than ever. If anything, history shows that you're going to have a gap and a window of opportunity to take advantage of, be prepared for, and create good ideas that investors trust in and uh, and, and bring this industry back. And you're going to have to be able to deal with the environmental side of things too. That's not going away. I deal with as many people daily, and I'm talking about you know respectable people that you know it's not just twits on Twitter. I mean, these are guys that make an appointment to talk to me, you know, lawyers and whatever. And um, there are a lot of people in the world that are convinced that fossil energy is, is, is evil. Right. And, and that it just has to stop and it will stop. And, and I, I, I disagree with them. Uh, I don't, I don't disagree with, with a lot of their, their climate driven concerns. I share them. But I, I simply, I don't think that they fully understand, uh, first of all, that, that, that fossil energy uh, can be cleaner than certainly the coal is, is the right. biggest problem. But, oh, yeah. but that, that fossil energy is part of the solution. Um, and again, some people are going to throw tomatoes at me for saying that. But, <laughs> but we can't ignore, as an industry, we cannot ignore those concerns right. because they're real. So you know, earning back investor trust, part of that is coming across. And I, I don't mean, you know, doing stuff like BP does and saying, okay, we're going to transition away from oil. I mean, I don't believe them for one thing. And I don't think anybody believes them. That's, that's just, that's bogus, but, yeah. you know, but, but presenting ourselves as responsible custodians and stewards of the environment is, is, is also very, very important to winning back investor trust. So, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm not here to preach to anybody or to tell them how to do, um, you know, how to run their company. Far from it. Uh, you ask me what Art Berman thinks, and I'm telling you what Art Berman thinks, and that's that's as far as it goes. And anybody who wants to say, well, you know, he's he's a pompous person and he should keep his ideas to himself, I'm going to blame you, Troy, because you asked me the question. <laughs> no, no, no. That's this... always that's always my go-to. <laughs> uh man i will jump on that grenade i will because people and and the industry needs to do a better job at uh at at, at putting forward the education putting forward our image in this and and it comes down to the to, to what is stable energy that's providing a foundation for the future for something new, something cleaner, whatever they want and whatever they're imagining based on what we understand of the carbon cycle today is whatever they think that is. You can't break away from the stable, efficient energy of hydrocarbons. And, and we have to trust that. We have to invest in that in order for something new to happen. If we get rid of that, and then it, for me, conceptually and, and in any argument, it's going to be an absolute disaster. We lose stability and energy to try to create a new energy. 
it what I'm sorry, it doesn't make sense. That 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 logic is absolutely flawed and I'll go to town and de debate this with anybody. You can't get rid of the stable energy that we have and that we trust to create something new and cleaner. I we want to create the new and cleaner, but we need the stability of energy as the foundation for us to create something safely, efficiently that's going to be a true transition. We, we can't get away from that. So it, it's, it's about hydrocarbons today. It's about building a stable future of economy of economics and, and then, and then seeing what comes out of that. Well, I think that there's, there's a, a, a huge level of uh, unrealistic thinking about the time that it takes for energy transitions to occur. Mm -hmm. And there's a great book by called energy transitions by uh, Vashlav Shmiel, S-M-I-L. He's uh, he teaches um, in at, at a university in in Calgary. Mm. Uh, the guy's written dozens of books. He's a genius, um, but he 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 actually goes through the you know the transition from draft animals to wood and wood to coal and coal wow. to petroleum, and and you know his and and uh, and I I agree with him in that uh, I'm all for people that want to move away from, from, from fossil energy. Uh, I'm not at all, I'm not at all in favor of, you know, we need to move away now. We need to turn it off now. Cause that's just not, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it's never happened before and it's not going to happen again. Right. Transitions take time and let's all move in the same direction, but you're not going to replace the basis of, I mean, let's, let's be honest here. I mean, wind and solar currently accounts for something like 5% of world primary energy consumption. Right. You are not going to go from 5% to even 20 or 30% in less than a decade or so. But mm. in, on, on top of that, implementing those forms of energy on in our modern day infrastructure, as far as shipping is concerned, as far as, as oh, yeah. on this side, it's just... It's impossible. But let's just say, let's say there's no problem. Let's say all we have to do is build it. Okay. It's still going to take decades. And of course, I, yeah. I completely agree with you that, you know, it's not all there. But, but assume, it were, assume it were and assume that everybody was on board. Everybody on the planet said, we are going to do this and we're going to do it as quickly as we can. It's going to take decades. Yeah. And so the, you know, when people stand up and say, we need to get off of hydrocarbons now, right? it's like, well, okay, great. You know, uh, let's say I agree with that. Um, when have we ever been able to get off of anything now? Uh, you know, go back to uh, digital versus analog television. You know, a couple of years ago, I think 2010, 2011, um, you know, the FCC said, okay, we're going to be ending digital television in a year. And all you got to do for the 20% of you that still watch analog television, <clears throat> go someplace and pick up a, a converter box for free. Well, a year came and went and most of them hadn't done it. Okay. So we'll extend it another year. Well, another year came and went and, you know, finally after, I don't know, three and a half years, we were able to completely convert we're already 80% of the way there to analog television. And you're telling me that the same population of people is going to go from 5% to 100% in, 
in something like a year, two or three, and it's going to cost us money. It's not free. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying you need to study human behavior, people. Wow. But read Voslav Schmiel's book. Man, I love that. Or or listen to him on YouTube. He'll give you a really nice perspective. Calibrate the the reality, the feasibility of an energy transition. So. Wow. I'll leave it there, guys. That's awesome, Art. Absolutely awesome. That's the end of the completion part of this show. That was it for me. And, and this show was absolutely amazing. And I do truly appreciate your time, Art. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it too. Awesome. Skippo, is that it? I think that's it. I think, <laughs> All right. I think, I think we out. <laughs> All right, we're out. Thanks, Art. All right.